Well, good morning, Kings. It's great to be with you to be able to introduce my friend Andrew Bunt from Living Out. Andrew is a wonderful Bible teacher and a gifted speaker who speaks a lot on issues of sexuality within our culture. I think he's an outstanding gift to us. I'm really looking forward to what he has to say. And we believe as a church that there are two ways in which we can express God's heart for living out the Christian life with our sexuality. One of them is to remain chaste, faithful, and single, which is what Jesus did and the Apostle Paul did and what Andrew does. And the other is to have sex only within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. And that those are the two contexts in which we express faithful sexuality and actually all other sexual expressions miss the mark of God's design for human beings. And we do spend as a church a bunch of time thinking about the second of those, how to express healthy sexuality in the context of marriage and putting in you know, right guardrails from God's word around how we express our sexuality. We talk somewhat less about how we do that through living faithfully as single people. And that's why I wanted Andrew to come as a single man himself. He's an outstanding teacher and thinker on these issues as well. And written about it, written books and resources and online materials. I think he's a great, gonna be a great help to us as we look at singleness and the church family. So let's please welcome and give our best attention to Andrew Bunt. Hello, it is great to be speaking to you today. My name's Andrew, I'm part of a church down on the southeast coast, the seaside towns of Hastings and Bexhill. And I'm a guy who's single. I have always been single in my life so far and I expect to live the rest of my life as a single guy. And that's partly because of my personal experience of sexuality. I'm a guy who's attracted to guys. I'm gay or same-sex attracted or whatever language you want to use for that experience. But I believe what the Bible teaches, what for 2,000 years Christians have believed the Bible to teach, what globally a majority of Christians still believe the Bible to teach, which is that sex and marriage are reserved by God for lifelong unions of one man and of one woman. And since that doesn't really interest me, I'm choosing to remain celibate and single as a way of being faithful to Jesus. That's my story of singleness. You may be single and have a very different story. You may be hearing you're not single, but I wonder how you feel when you hear my story. I wonder kind of how you feel and what you think about the prospect of lifelong singleness. My suspicion is that many of us might have quite mixed feelings about that idea. On the one hand, we know that the Bible seems to say singleness is a good thing. It's a gift right in the Bible, so it must be a good thing. But on the other hand, we often struggle to see how singleness is actually a good gift. Our assumption so often is that singleness means loneliness, means isolation, means incompleteness. And if we're honest, we often see singleness as a problem to be solved rather than a gift to be embraced. I often see that in people's reactions to my story. People kind of say, well, aren't you lonely? And aren't you gonna be lonely? And what about not having a family? And the one people maybe don't say, but they think, what about a life without sex? Is that actually possible? And sometimes our attitudes to singleness are revealed in things we say, and we don't explicitly state our concerns about singleness, but we reveal it in the things we say. When we say things like, oh, it's such a shame they haven't found anyone yet. Or when someone asks the question, are you still single, which can be said with varying levels of pity or amazement at different times. The reality is, as Christians, we're often confused about singleness. Is it good? Isn't it? Is it a gift or is it some sort of curse? I think we need to go back to the Bible. We need to ask, what do the scriptures say? And we're going to ask, what does the Bible say about singleness? And how do all of us, whether we're single or married, embrace and seek to live out what it says? Let's do that together. 
We're going to do that by going to 1 Corinthians 7. You might want to open your Bible there if you've got a Bible with you. We're going to look at the gift of singleness because this is a primary chapter in the Bible that talks to us about this gift. It's the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders, writing to a church in the ancient city of Corinth, a church in something of a mess, to be honest. And in this particular chapter, he's engaging with the topics of marriage and divorce and singleness. It's actually quite a long chapter, quite a complex chapter, and we've not got time to work through it all systematically today. I'm going to seek to draw out what I think Paul says to us about singleness in this chapter, but I want to encourage you to go away and after today to read this chapter for yourself, check that what I've said is actually what Paul says and see how it fits in with the rest of what he says. What we see in this chapter firstly is that Paul tells us that singleness is good and singleness is a gift. The key verses here are verses 6 and 7. Paul says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. In the context here, he's been talking about marriage and singleness. He's talking as a single man and he says he wishes that all people could live like him, could live in singleness. Paul clearly believes that singleness is good. And actually, if you read through the whole chapter, you'll see Paul thinks singleness is good. And actually, he does say singleness is better than marriage. Verse 7, we've seen him say he wishes everyone was able to live as he is. The very next verse, verse 8, he talks to people who are unmarried and he talks to widows and he says, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Singleness is good. Near the end of the chapter, there's a, a chunk of the chapter where he's talking to people who are betrothed, engaged in a sense, talking about whether or not they should get married. And he sums it all up in verse 38. He who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Marriage is good, but singleness, he says, actually is better. And right at the end of the chapter, he talks to widows. He says to them, they are completely free to marry because their spouse has died. But he says in verse 40, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. You read 1 Corinthians 7 and there's no getting away from the fact that Paul says singleness is good. And actually, he says it's better than marriage. But it is important to note, just because singleness is better than marriage doesn't mean marriage is bad. Paul doesn't think marriage is bad, and he's really clear about that in this chapter. Clear that marriage is good, that existing marriages should continue, that actually people who get married, you're not doing anything wrong by getting married. You see that in the first chunk of the chapter, verses 2 to 5, where it said married couples should keep on having sex. They shouldn't act as if they're single and try and be celibate as if they were single people. Their marriage is good and marriages should continue. Likewise, verses 12 to 16, talking to people who are Christians married to someone who isn't a Christian, he says, as much as it's in their power, they should continue in their marriage. Marriage is good and marriages should continue. And the verse we've already seen where Paul summarizes his teaching to the betrothed, to the engaged, he says, he who marries his betrothed does well. Marriage is good. It's okay to get married. Paul believes singleness is good. He does believe it's better than marriage but that doesn't mean marriage is bad or that it's wrong to be in a marriage or to get married. It's okay, in a sense, to choose what's not best. It's okay to get married, but it's also okay and it's good to be single. So Paul tells us singleness is good and he tells us it's a gift. Did you notice that in verse 7? He says singleness is a gift. Again, verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. 
He thinks singleness is good and he recognises both singleness and marriage as gifts. And it's really important for us to talk about the gift of singleness. Often the, the nature of the gift, what it means for the singleness to be a gift is really misunderstood. We often have this idea that the gift of singleness is a superpower. It's this kind of rare, unusual gift that a few people get to endure the otherwise awful situation of singleness. And the gift of singleness means you never experience sexual temptation, you never get lonely because you have the gift of singleness. Often that's how we think of it, right? But that's just not actually what the Bible says. It's not what Paul is saying. Because if that was what was being said, there'd be a major problem. You'd have married people, you'd have single people with the gift of singleness, and you'd have a whole load of single people who don't have the gift, who are stuck in this inevitably awful situation. It just doesn't work, and it's not what Paul is saying. The gift of singleness isn't this superpower to endure singleness. The gift of singleness is the state of being single just as the gift of marriage is the state of being married. If you're currently single, you are experiencing the gift of singleness. If you're currently married, you're experiencing the gift of marriage. We see that in that verse seven. Paul says each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. There are two gifts. We've all got one of them that only works, that only makes sense if we're thinking about the state of being single and the state of being married. This is also the only way that the gift of singleness fits with the rest of New Testament teaching. The kind of superpower idea suggests that you need this special gift to be able to deal with sexual temptation as a single person, but that just goes against the rest of New Testament teaching. It would make sexual temptation the one form of temptation where you need a special gift to be able to resist it, and where actually the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit isn't enough to resist temptation. It would make the, that with the one form of temptation where we need something else to be able to resist it. That doesn't fit with biblical New Testament teaching about how we resist temptation. The gift of singleness is the state of being single, not a superpower to endure it. Paul says it's good. He says it's a gift. And then we're going to ask though, well, why does he say it's good? Why is singleness such a good thing? Why actually does he think it's better than marriage? Well, Paul gives us a few reasons in the kind of uh, last third of the chapter where he's helping betrothed people weigh up, will they or won't they get married? But I think the most important reason he gives actually is the final one. It comes in verses 32 to 35. Let's read them together. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul offers actually a really practical reason why he thinks singleness is good and actually better than marriage. Married people, he says, rightly carry anxieties, concerns, responsibilities towards their spouse. There's an extra weight of relational responsibility there that means their interests are divided, as he puts it. Whereas if we're unmarried, we don't carry the extra weight of responsibility. And we've actually got an opportunity, an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. That for Paul is the heart of the goodness of singleness, a unique opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. Doesn't that sound exciting? Don't you want that? 
And of course, Paul isn't saying that married people can't be devoted to the Lord. Of course they can. Married people have wonderful, intimate, faithful relationship with Jesus. But he's saying there's something special about the opportunity that singleness gives to us. To Paul, he's saying singleness is good, actually better than marriage, ultimately because it gives us this opportunity to have such wonderful, undivided devotion in our relationship with Jesus. For Paul, that's the heart of the goodness of singleness. It's the reason he says, if you're not yet married, seriously consider whether singleness could be the right thing for you because it gives you this opportunity. So we're looking to understand the biblical teaching on the gift of singleness. What we see in this chapter is that singleness is good. Actually, better than marriage isn't saying marriage is bad or people shouldn't get married or continue their marriages, but singleness is good alongside marriage. And singleness is a gift. Not a superpower to endure it, but the state of being single is a gift. And singleness gives us this wonderful opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. For Paul, that's the heart of the goodness of singleness. That's understanding the gift. But I think we also need to talk about experiencing the gift. The experience reality of this, because let's be honest, lots of us still struggle to believe that singleness is really a good way of living life. Sadly, lots of us who are single struggle to experience the gift God has given us as a good gift. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're single and actually your singleness feels more like a burden than it does a blessing, more like a curse than it does a gift. We've got to wrestle with the reality of what's often our experience. How do we reconcile that reality with the teaching of Scripture? Here's what I think is going on. I think God gives us a good gift, but often there are other things that we're not living out that we need to as church that make that good gift work. Often singleness is being lived out and experienced in a context which doesn't allow it to work and be experienced as the good gift is. Think of it this way. Imagine I gave to a child a gift. Imagine I gave them a, a level crossing of Brio. Brio is that beautiful kind of wooden train set. I give them this level crossing is a good gift but if that child doesn't also have some trains and some other track and some other bits of brio, as good as the gift is, they're not really going to experience its goodness because the context, the stuff around it isn't in place. I think it's the same with the gift of singleness. There's nothing wrong with the gift. It's a good gift given by God, but there are other things God has called us to live out and to believe, which we don't always have in place. And if they're not in place, we don't get to experience the goodness of this gift. We need to think about some other things that go around singleness to help those of us who are single to experience the goodness of this gift. There are lots of things we could say on this, but just two that I want to highlight I think are particularly helpful for us to think about. One is that we need to understand sex and love rightly. Christian singleness means celibacy, means not having sex. That's being orthodox Christian teaching for 2,000 years based on the teaching of the Bible, including 1 Corinthians 7. It's the reason why in verses 9 and 36, Paul talks to those who are betrothed, and he says, if you're betrothed and engaged and you're, still, you're already sleeping together, you might as well get on and get married if all other things are equal, because actually sex is reserved for marriage. In a Christian vision, singleness means celibacy. But for so many of us, that's part of what makes singleness sound impossible. Can you really live a life without sex? Because we're living in a culture in the modern West today when many people would say, no, you can't live life without sex. We're living in a culture where the assumption is that everyone is having sex. And let me tell you, I've had the experience, and many of my single friends have had the experience, of doctors do not believe you when you tell them that you're not a sexually active person, because the assumption is everyone is sexually active. 
We receive the message that not having sex is somehow dangerous or unhealthy, you're repressed. Or maybe it means you're not a real adult. That's why adult virgins are such a kind of comedic figure in our culture. Our culture believes that sex is a need and often we as Christians have absorbed that belief. And so then we go, well, if singleness means celibacy, how can it be a good thing? We need to understand sex rightly. Is sex a need? No, it's not. Can you live a fulfilled life without sex? Yes, you can. That's kind of observable in general, let's be honest. There are no major health problems that emerge from too little sex. There's no reason to say people who aren't having sex aren't real adults. Anyone really can see this. But for us as Christians, we can particularly see it because the ultimate proof actually is Jesus. Hearing Jesus is the example of a perfect way of living human life. Human life lived well, and he's a man who's single, a man who never gets engaged or married, a man who never has sex, a man who's celibate. As Christians, it's not an option for us to say that a life without sex is an impoverished or an impossible life because Jesus shows us actually what it is to live as a fulfilled human and he's a guy who never has sex. It's just not true that sex is a need. But actually, lurking behind all of this is kind of like a half-truth. The half-truth is that love is a need. Sex isn't a need, but love is. And often our problem is we mix up the two. Actually, we have a God-given need for love. I think we see that in Genesis 2 and elsewhere in the Scriptures. But so often the world around us, maybe we ourselves, assume we need to be having sex in order to experience love, in order to feel love. That's so often what happens in the culture we're living in the modern West. Sex and love collapsed together. And so the assumption is that a life without sex is a life without love, is a lonely, isolated, loveless life. But that doesn't have to be true. And actually that really shouldn't be true for any of us who are in a church context. There are lots of ways that our genuine God-given need for love can be met. One of those ways, a primary way God gives for all of us, is the gift of friendship. If you think, well, friendship is a pretty poor substitute for a sexual relationship, that might be because you haven't really realised what friendship can be and actually should be. Friendship is meant to be a relationship of radical, expressed and experienced love. We see this in the teaching of Jesus. John 15, Jesus teaches about friendship, about our friendship with him and calls us to our friendships with each other. He says that we are to love one another as he has loved us in verse 12. Think about what kind of love that is, a radical, self-sacrificial love. And he actually uses friendship to tell us about the greatest love. That famous verse in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says the greatest love is seen not in sex, not in marriage, not in romance, actually seen in friendship. Friendship is meant to be a relationship, a radical, expressed, experienced love. Jesus calls us to that teaches us about that, but he also embodies that in his own life. Look at Jesus, and one of the things we often overlook is the fact Jesus is a man of friendship. Wherever he goes, he's got friends. He shares life with 12 others. He's got this inner group of three within whom he's particularly close. Jesus shows us the importance of friendship, what friendship can be. He's a single man who's not lonely or isolated, but is surrounded by deep, meaningful relationships in friendship. And all of us actually need friendship. Whether we're married, whether we're single, it truly is one of God's greatest blessings to us. And getting friendship right as a relationship of genuine, expressed, experienced, self-sacrificial love is going to be vital if we're going to create a context where single people get to experience the goodness of the gift God has given us. We as single people have a God-given need for love and connection. 
friendship as a primary context that God is giving us to experience that. If we want to thrive in singleness, if we want to help other people thrive in singleness, then prioritising friendship and getting it right is going to be really key. We need to understand love and sex. And also we need to understand family rightly. Here's another reason we often think singleness isn't good. We think when it denies people the chance to have their own family, again, we think it's isolation, we think it's loneliness. And when we think that, that's because we have a very narrow definition of what family is, which is common in some Western cultures. Your culture actually may be very different, but in some Western cultures, there's this idea that family is this small, closed-off unit, parents and a few childrens, and the kind of goal is to get to the stage where you can be as a family, pull up the drawbridge, as it were, and have family time. It's what people are aspiring to, including maybe especially in Christian circles with a really narrow understanding of family, and that leaves single people inevitably out of the loop. But actually, when we look at the Bible, the biblical understanding of family is radically different. That we, as Christians and churches, we are family. We're adopted as God's children. We're sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters, siblings. We are family together. That's our identity. But it needs to not just be who we are, it needs to be how we live. We need to live as the family that we are. And that's something we've got to actually work at and be kind of proactive about and do some things about. It should be that everyone, single and married, old and young, those with children, those without children, all of us get to experience family in the context of church. And what does it actually look like? I think it looks like expanding our families. It's not dismantling nuclear families. Nuclear families are a good part of God's design, but it's expanding them, welcoming others in, sharing family life with other people. And so often that wouldn't mean doing the normal stuff, but doing it together, because that's the bulk of family life, right? It's not the big special occasions, it's the normal stuff of daily life, but you do it together. Have a think for yourself, what do you do that you could join others or you could invite others to join you in? What would it like for you to be proactive about being family for someone else? Maybe inviting them into your life or your home or maybe stepping into their life and home and being family for them. When we do this, singleness doesn't have to be and shouldn't mean isolation and loneliness and a lack of family. We are family and we're called to live that out so all of us get to experience a genuine experience of family. We all get to be involved in different people's lives, involved in the lives of children. We all get to have those God-given needs for family, love and connection met. And I'm very blessed that that's being my experience of singleness. My experience of singleness isn't what people assume. It's not isolation and loneliness and lack of family. My experience of singleness is a relationally rich life of deep, meaningful experiences of loving friendship, of rich experiences of family. I get to be part of multiple families. I have keys to people's houses. We spend time together. We eat meals together multiple times each week. I'm involved in the lives of lots of children. For me, singleness has meant a more relationally rich life, not a relationally impoverished life. That's how it should be in the context of church and church living as family. We all rightly long for love and family and community and connection. And if we want to make singleness work and help people experience the goodness of this gift, we need to live out the fact that we are family so everyone gets to experience family life. So if we're coming to the topic of singleness as Christians, we want to understand the gift and we can say singleness is this gift from God, the state of singleness, not a superpower. 
It is a good gift, and that's the promise of Scripture. Anyone who is single is receives and is experiencing that good gift, but we've all got a role to play in helping all of us who are single to experience the goodness of the gift that God has given. We need to get our understanding on things like love and sex and things like family right, so all of us actually can be living in context where our God-given needs for love and intimacy and community are met. If you're here today and you're married, you have a role to play in this. What would it like for you to play your part in helping people to experience the goodness of singleness? How can you use your marriage and your home and your family to be a blessing to others, to invite others in, to help singles have those needs that God has given them met? But also, if you're here today and you're single, you have a part to play too. We have just as much of a part to play. We are just as much called to be family for others, to love other people in self-sacrificial friendship. It's so easy for us to sit around thinking, when are people going to look after me as a single? When are people going to be family for me? But you know, you and I, we're just as much called to do this as other people are as well. Rather than sitting around waiting for other people to do that for us, we can be proactive of, how can I love other people? How can I seek to be family for other people? And as we do that, God too often will bless that and out of that will grow deep, meaningful friendship, wonderful experiences of family. We've all got a role to play here. God's done his bit. He's given this good gift. And now the call to us is to live out all that he calls us to, so those who've got this gift get to experience its goodness. What does that look like for you? What are you going to do to put this into practice? Who are you going to reach out to? What, even this week, are you going to do to put some of this into practice? I'd love to close by praying, praying that God would help us to do this, to put this into practice in the day-to-day of our lives together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your good gifts of marriage and of singleness. We thank you for the gift of singleness, that it is a good thing, a wonderful blessing, an opportunity for undivided devotion to you. We pray, help us to make the most of that opportunity. And we pray, Lord, help us to be a church community and individual Christians and families who are helping single people to experience the goodness of this gift. Even right now, come and prompt us with things we can do, people we can reach out to, ways we can be sharing family life together. And we pray, Lord, that every person who is single will fully experience the goodness of the gift that you have given them, the goodness of that blessing. We ask that by your spirit, you would be with us, helping us, leading us, challenging us, guiding us. We might put this into practice. We ask this in your name. Amen.